0: Welcome to Divorce Stories with attorney Dennis Vetrano, the show for people that want real answers to real divorce questions from a real divorce lawyer. And now here's your host, attorney Dennis Vetrano. So hello, everyone, and welcome back to Divorce Stories. I'm your host, divorce attorney Dennis Vetrano, and I feel like this is getting, you know, uh, wrote. But I have another amazing guest on today, and I think you guys are in for a real treat today. We have Sarah Armstrong, a good divorce proponent, em- emphasis on the word good divorce proponent and author of The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, is vice president of global marketing operations at Google, a proud mom of Grace. Congratulations. Who is currently a freshman in college. Awesome. Awesome. Sarah is a mentor to other women in business and longtime volunteer at various nonprofit organizations, including Jack and Jill Late Stage Cancer Foundation, Georgetown Alumni Admissions Program and Trinity Table Kitch- Soup Kitchen. Excuse me. In her book, The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, What to Think Through When Children Are Involved, she shares her advice from one mom to another, served up with clarity, compassion. And optimism, the book has over 175 definitely meaningful and worthwhile topics to think through, such as how to help your children manage their lives between two homes, how to develop compartmentalization muscles, big word, but very apropos, uh, mm-hmm. to cope with the stress of divorce and how to handle a year of post-divorce first such as birthdays and holidays. Now, I know that was a long intro, but you have a lot of qualifications and I definitely want to bring those to the forefront. Uh, Welcome, 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 Sarah. It is so exciting to have you here.
1: Dennis, thank you for having me. Really great to be here with you.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. It's it's certainly our our pleasure. So I want to talk about the book, obviously. I read it. I'm a practicing a divorce attorney for 20 plus years, and I will tell you it is amazingly useful tool what made you write the book? Uh,
1: well, first of all, thank you for the feedback. Um, you know, it's interesting. And i and like to start real quick, does before I go into the reasons behind writing the book, just sure. with, a quick, with a quick caveat that, you know, just for the record, I'm actually not an advocate for divorce, you know, in an ideal world, you know, couples that get married, stay married and are happy for the long term. You know, that, that's always the goal when you get married. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. And these days, you know, as you know, it's more common than ever. So I, I like to share a couple of thoughts there because it's important to say, you know, no one gets married to get divorced. No one generally gets divorced for good reasons. And the challenge is that children uh, that are in a family that's going through divorce didn't get to make the decision that their parents were going to go through that divorce, but their lives are significantly impacted by that decision. So, you know, over the years, I actually got divorced um, twelve years ago. And um, over the years since my divorce, I was asked by a number of my girlfriends who have children to help them with the details of their divorce. And, you know, I always kind of joke that the girl that uh, never, ever thought she would get a divorce, got a divorce. And I've become a poster child for a good divorce. Right. That's. And so in helping my girlfriends with this challenging time of life, at the end of it, they'd say, you know, you should really write this down, you know, this guidance. And I don't, I don't consider myself a writer. So I'd say, oh yeah, you know, maybe someday, but didn't, didn't think I would do it. And I was on a business trip, actually in Mexico city with uh, a group of colleagues and a good friend of mine turned to me at dinner. And he said, Sarah, you're so happy. And I said, well, yeah. And he said, but you're divorced. I said, well, getting divorced isn't a death sentence. My ex-husband and I decided to no longer be married to each other. And so I mentioned that my friends had been encouraging me to write a book. And so he said, you know, you should really think about that. So the next morning I got on my flight from Mexico city and uh, I opened my laptop and I started writing and that's how this all started. And so I just don't think Dennis, there's enough conversation in society about the topic of actually having a good divorce. You know, there's a lot, you know, on divorce, and there's a lot of negative perceptions out there. But I, I want to help society shift perception that a good divorce is actually an
0: attainable outcome. Right. There's a lot of stigma about getting divorced.
1: A ton of stigma. There's a scarlet letter. You feel like you know yeah. you're wearing the scarlet letter that you've done something wrong. That then and you know that negative cloud that people oh. feel that they've now have over them. I just don't believe if, if 50% of couples are going to go through a divorce, does that mean 50% of Individuals out there that have gone through divorce can't be happy long term, and they have to have that negative cloud, you know, follow them the rest of their life, and children. You know, I just, I fundamentally don't don't believe that has to be the case.
0: Yep, and and I think that you know, I think people that go through it, they really internalize this sense of failure. Yeah, and these are CEOs, these are lawyers. Doctors, people who manage a household and raise great kids, they and they and they share that thing in common that they have this sense of failure. So we need to do what we can to get rid of that stigma.
1: Absolutely. That's the goal.
0: That's the goal. So so I love the title. Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce. What to think through when children are involved. Uh, What inspired the title?
1: You know, it's interesting. It was my daughter who actually used the term good divorce with me and it, it started the whole thing. So we were standing at a CVS checking out um, and there was a celebrity couple on the cover of a People magazine. And she looked at it. This was a year after divorce. She was eight. And she said, Mommy, is that a good divorce or a bad divorce? And I stopped and I said, Grace, I don't know. What's the difference between the two? She goes, well, a good divorce is when a mommy and daddy are nice to each other like you and daddy. And a bad divorce is when they scream and yell at each other. And Dennis, I walked out of the CVS that day and I thought, you know, whatever we're doing a year post-divorce, the fact that my eight-year-old could say that we have a good divorce, I felt like we were doing something right, you know, right as a relative term, but something that was actually having her perception be, you know, that this was a good divorce.
0: Right. Out of the mouths of babes, for sure. Absolutely. So why is it that you think you and your spouse were able to, to have a good divorce? You know, I think it came
1: from a, a mindset we approached this with um, when we determined that we weren't gonna be married any longer, and it was about putting grace first and you know, setting aside you know, whatever reasons we were deciding to no longer be together. But we, you know, we as parents decided to bring grace into this world and she deserved to have the best life possible. And divorce can really tear not only you know, the day-to-day fabric of a family's life together, but it has such an impact on children. And I think we do have a responsibility as parents and so that's what we talked about I said you know um, we we want to raise grace in the healthiest environment possible and I, I joke that you know we we cover the plugs and we put bite helmets on our kids and we feed them organic milk we do all these things as parents right to make right. sure they are safe and happy and healthy but then the toxicity that can come with divorce right. um, can have a long-term impact on our children's views on relationships on their view on marriage you know their overall happiness in life and I just didn't want that for Grace. We didn't want that for Grace. So we really took the responsibility of co-parenting very seriously and talked very openly about what that would take for us to do, you know, across two separate homes. And, um, you know, I look back now and, you know, Grace is now in college. So I can look back with reflection over the last, it was 11 years, you know, of, of living across two homes for her. And, you know, there's a lot of patience that's required. There's a lot of communication. The logistics of life is really where it all comes down to. But I feel really good that we went in with that intent. And I think if we look back on on the years that we raised Grace across the two households, I think we really feel that we did what was best for her at every turn.
0: Right. Absolutely. Now, this book, in part, is based on your own experiences, but it's also based on a lot of information you gathered along the way from advising friends of yours, hearing stories about what they're going through. So tell us a little bit about some of the background that led you to, to lay out this expertise for all of our listeners who can benefit from it.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. So the women that had come to me originally and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to think about this, they became the contributors to my, to my book, you know, once I decided to do that. So it was about five years post-divorce when I decided to write the book. And so I would write and kind of have these topics that I would put together and then I'd share it with them and say, is this what I told you? You know, is this is this the right. guidance we discussed? And this was many times over, you know, Glasses of wine in my living room as I'd share things and we'd talk through it. And we had a lot of, you know, post divorce reflection that you can see. And actually, I updated the book a year ago because after at the 10 year mark, I kind of looked and thought, you know, there's some more topics that I wish I'd included. And so I went from 150 topics to about 175 or so. And um, it was just because I, you know, there's further reflection as you get further down the path that I thought was important. And those same contributors I went back to the same women and said, Hey, let's think where we are now and what we've learned on this journey. And so that's how it it came to be. And um, I'm very proud of the collective um, kind of guidance that we were able to provide, because I think it's meant to be very practical, you know, um, and very grounded and kind of, by the way, very different. I had two working moms and two stay at home moms, including myself as a working mom. So I had different perspectives um, you know different situations that led to the divorces, but interesting. Regardless, as I mentioned earlier, regardless of what leads you to the decision to get divorced, once you go into the next phase of thinking through what it takes to then go through the divorce and live and raise your children post-divorce, there's there's more universal truth than not that we, regardless of right. whether working mom or stay-at-home mom, some of those things kind of um, are set aside, and you just think what's best for your kids. So
0: right. And I think while everybody's situation is different and their journey is different, there are commonalities, those common threads. And as we were talking about off the air before we got started, you know, I I think there's so much value to be gained from somebody who's in it from people who've been through it. So I can give you all the legal advice you want about a situation, but I haven't been through it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think when you've lived that experience, there are certain unique uh, things you'll learn you'll, you'll observe when you're in it so far beyond what any expert could tell you.
1: Yeah. No. And I agree, but I also appreciate that as a lawyer, that you're, you're reflecting on it from the other angle. And, that, and, and, based on, I've listened to a number of your podcasts and, and our discussion, I, I, I do think there's a lot of commonality about how you're trying to approach helping your clients and the guidance yeah. that I'm trying to provide with the book in terms of, you know, an approach that hopefully is thoughtful. And to your point, um, gives people optimism that you can get through this and everyone can be okay. And it it will take time because it's not an easy process. I I will say it's it's not something I I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. Um, But if you have to go through it, I I do believe there's a way to go through it and have everyone be happy on the other end.
0: Absolutely. So um, uh, what I found interesting in the book is that I think your approach, yours and your exes in, in common, and I think the ultimate outcome, there, there, there's a mirror reflection there. Mm-hmm. So I think not just from your mindset approach and the process you chose, but the result that you ended up with. So you set out to do something in a particular way. And clearly from that quote from your daughter, you achieved it. Mm-hmm. So you chose the collaborative process as your journey. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that. Why would you choose it? You know.
1: No, it's interesting. It was it was a process I wasn't aware of. And in fairness, I grew up seeing a lot of what I would say very ugly divorces. Um, right. now my parents, I should I, I do always like to show my parents have been married 53 years and are the true picture of partnership and a marriage. And I'm so proud of being their daughter and having that as my model. But I did see some very ugly divorces growing up. So when we decided that this was the path we were going on, I didn't want that um, model to be how we even pursued the. You know, the legal aspects and the discussions that needed to take place. So um, I was told about the collaborative process, which again, as as you know, has uh, each of us have a lawyer, each of us have a coach. And then importantly, there's a child specialist that really focuses on what's best for your child. And then there's a financial neutral um, professional that really helps you look at the finances. And so that team works as a team. And I really found that for what we were wanting to accomplish with this approach we were taking the collaborative model was the right model for us to, to pursue and it really did end up being um, you know the, the right approach for us and it sounds like by the way it might be more expensive or more time consuming all this things because you have all those people involved but I actually felt like it was a very streamlined process and very efficient in terms of how we approach the conversations and we're able to get to decisions we needed to make throughout the process
0: Right. And, and I think the other piece of that, as I'm looking in from the outside, is it was clear that you prioritized your child, yes. their view of the world, what yes. would be best for them. And, I, and I'll share with you a quote. I, I'm a collaborative divorce lawyer as well. Um, one of the quotes when I was first uh, engaging in that particular realm, taking trainings and such that they have to promote that process was, what do you want your kids to remember about your divorce, and that is so the it, 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 the juxtaposition between that quote and the one in your book is is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, that is it's it is amazing because that's exactly and one of my contributors, one of my very good friends, um, said that. I mean, she said the greatest gift that my parents gave me, you know, um, at, at, during their divorce or throughout the my life was that they never uh, required me to choose, you know, and you know and i think that was that's a that again that's a conscious decision her parents made and as a a woman who's now gone through divorce and raised her own kids that was a huge part of how she was thinking about it and i do right. think the collaborative process is meant to enable your kids to look back and say you know what my parents i i always say i wanted grace to say you know my parents did the best they could and they kept you know my, you know my needs and what was best for you know my childhood in clear view at all times. And I do think that we're, we're able to have her reflect on that at this point, And she would say
0: that. Oh, I think she did you one better when she said a good divorce. Yes. Yes. And, and I think kids, you know, kids will say what's off the top of their head. So, which is what's so, one of the things that's so precious about kids, especially younger kids. Yeah. Um, and just to say you had a good divorce. That's just yeah. amazing. It that's is. just amazing. So, yeah. Um, so, so let me say this. I love the format of your book. I love the layout. I love the bite-sized pieces of information. Um, what made you decide to lay it out in the way you did, uh, frame it in the way you did? I'm curious because it works. So I want to know you, how you arrived at that conclusion.
1: Thank you. Well, it was a very kind. It's a really interesting Dennis. When I when I went through my divorce, I was given a number of books, and they were thick and they were dense. And I would open them and I close them, and I never read one of them, not one. So when I decided that I actually might want to write a book on this topic, I thought about the divorce, a divorced woman's mindset, and there's so much coming at you, and There's only so much that you can take on. And so I decided, you know, it was very in my, and the topics started coming to me, you know, they were almost like, okay, right. I want to talk about. So as I started listing out these topics, I thought, you know, these are these bite-sized pieces of wisdom and guidance. And you know what, you can only take in a topic or two at a time. you, you, you Right. Probably can't take it. You know, the book is actually not meant to be read cover to cover for most, you know, women going through this, and it's it's set up with the three sections, you know, preparing for the change, during the change, and post the change. And when which I, is great,
0: by the way, if I can interject, I love how you. it's separated out as well. It's really useful.
1: Thank you. One, well, and, and I did the table of contents as you know, with each topic being broken out. And by the way, each topic is maybe a half a page or a page, and that's it. Right. and I had a funny story that when I was laying out the book with the, my editor they were trying to encourage me to put more than one topic on a page and I said no 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 that the white space is that people can think you know and she said but you're wasting paper I said, <laughs> I, said I go you know what I'll, I'll, I'll do something else environmentally friendly but I'm gonna, right. I'm, gonna have, I'm gonna have one topic per page and so it's meant to say you know if, In the paperback, if you read it and you only want to read that page or two, and then you close a book and you can put it away, Um, but it is meant to allow people to really reflect on, you know, the discussions you need to have, the decisions you need to make on that specific topic so that you can get through this, you know, over the course of time.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Excellent. And and I love also the tone. I think one of the quotes in the book was, this was written from the perspective of if we you know, sat down at a cafe or in the living room, opened up a bottle of wine and just were chatting back and forth about our experience. Relaxed, real terms, direct. Um, I love that about the book.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And that was for both how it came to be, because those are the conversations I was having with my girlfriends over the years. Oh so right, it was, it was replaying You know, my, uh, my girlfriend actually teased me. She, she nicknamed my, uh, my living room, the spa room because we'd go in with the, the bottle of wine and sit in these comfy chairs and just, you know, solve the world's problems. But a lot of that did happen in my living room in terms of those discussions, but yeah, it is meant to be conversational. It's meant to be very much as if I was sitting with the reader and we were having a, a, a talk or a chat in that one topic and thinking through it. And, you know, it's interesting to say right after I launched the book, I was in the produce section at my grocery store and this woman walked up to me and she said, are you Sarah Armstrong, the author? And I stopped. I didn't at that point. I still hadn't fashioned myself an author. I'm like, oh, actually I am. And she said, um, well, I was at your book signing at Barnes and Noble and I want to thank you. Um, She goes, I'm going through divorce, which always I, you know, it's such a bittersweet thing to hear. And um, I said, I'm so sorry. She goes, no, but I want to thank you for writing this book. She goes, I carry it with me and it keeps me calm. And she said, thank you for writing this book. And she walked away and Dennis, I stood there with my cart in the middle of the produce section. And I said, you know what, that is that woman that I don't know, you know, that's why I wrote this book is to help women that, you know, I don't know that can hopefully help keep them calm during a very tumultuous time in their life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because I've always wanted to be the the anti-lawyer divorce lawyer. Yeah. So like the guy, if you ran into me at a pub and we were having a, a pint together, yeah. what you know, my all of the things that I do are framed from what would I tell you? Yeah, Not like it's section so and so of the CPLR. <laughs> is it? No, yeah. not not this yeah. robotic canned garbage. Real, real talk. Real talk. Yes. And, and that's, that's so useful to people. It
1: is. And I think you really need it in this in this. Process because there's so much that you're trying to. Again, I, I talk about that the the things coming at you from all the angles and all the things you're trying to think about, all the things you're trying to plan for. There's just a lot, and so whatever I could do in this book to help break that down into some those bite-sized pieces, I thought was really important. So thank you for the feedback on the format. It was something that I was very um, convinced would be hopefully a helpful way of sharing the information. So.
0: Yes. And as I said before, when we were off camera, I'm going to show a picture of the book and my, all of my yellow stickies, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, the way this is laid out, this book, folks, is those blank spaces, okay, at the bottom, after a paragraph, after a bite-sized topic, gives you space to write notes. Mm-hmm. So when you're getting these commonalities, right, that many people have experienced going through each phase of the divorce process, these tips, if you will, to help get you through the process, you can write notes in the sections of this book to give you ideas on how these things are particularly relevant to you, and kind of refer back to them. So not only does it give you time and space to think and digest the topic, but also to write your own notes, which I did, by the way. Which, wow. which again, as you see, <laughs> it was all marked up. I wanted I to hold it. that up because I'm a yellow sticky guy. Sorry, love it. Yeah, that's you're what
1: 50, I do. Three M in business, I love it.
0: Right. Absolutely. And so, so I want to go to one of the next topics I found really interesting that you use the word, the change rather than the divorce. And I, and I think this isn't just semantics with that. I think there's a reason why you did that. And I, and and I'm curious to hear why.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great point. It's a great question. It was a point of discussion, both with my contributors and just as I was thinking about the structure of the book. Um, You know, I just think that the word divorce has such a reaction and what this is, is a a massive life change that you're going through for you and your children. And so I just felt framing it up in the concept of a change versus again, having that term divorce feel like it is attached to everything. I just wanted to uh, (laughs) divorce from the word divorce in some respects and and talk about a, a broader concept of the change in your life. And, you know, a lot of the things that are in this book are, are, or somewhat, and you, you mentioned this a little bit, is that their parenting tips in some respects, right? They are. The, and there's things that you have to think about in um, in life and raising children. And then when you are going through divorce, you then have to think about how are you going to do that across these two households? So the change has a, a number of different angles in terms right. of how to think about the, the change you're going through before you and your children.
0: Right. And I, th- and I think for many people, and I, and I always want to try to, to have listeners, clients, people in the divorce process look at divorce like it's not an end. I mean, people have so associated the word divorce with end. It's the end of my marriage. It's the end of our home together. It's the end of this, the end of that. It is, yes, it can be difficult, but it is a change and a step into the new world, the new life that's waiting for you on the other side.
1: There is, and there is a life. And I, that's what a belief in, in the post the change section of my book, I really talk a lot about, you know, there is the new normal that people refer to. There's right. a lot of first that you go through, but there is, there's a way to think about how do you want to design your life in this next phase for you and your children? What are the traditions you want to keep? What are the traditions you are going to set that are new? And there, there is, there's a, there's a lot of reflection that hopefully, um, families can go through and women can go through as they're going through this change to figure out what they want that next phase of life
0: to look like. Right. Now, when we started out, you you, you suggested or said, didn't suggest, you said, look, I'm not necessarily the, the poster child for divorce. Yeah. Um, I'm good divorce. Yes. But I noticed in your book, you said you wanted to be certain before you made that decision that yeah. you had done everything you could to preserve the marriage. Yes. And you also alluded to the time frame that it should take you or or takes many to go through that process, reach that ultimate decision. One of the first questions I ask clients when they come through the door for a consult with me is, how do you know the marital relationship is over? And that's a time process. Talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, I think it is such a personal thing in terms of the time. But what I wanted to make sure with our decision um, for my ex-husband and I is that we had done everything we could to stay together for Grace's benefit. And then if it was the fact that we couldn't no longer be together, then we could both look at Grace and said, we did all we could, you know, to keep this family in the traditional sense of a family intact. And so that's, you know, whether it's therapy, whether it's working through a lot of different, you know, uh, issues, but we, we felt we had done all we could. And, you know, the time it can be, and I've had friends that, have contemplated it um, for a very long time before they've actually um, made any decision to make a change, and I think that's great. I mean, there's no right time, by the way. There's not like a requirement, like you know, you need to think about a year, you need to think about it five years. It's, you know, it's what's um, right for you. But I think just knowing in your heart that when you're looking at your kids, you know, over the years, and if those questions come up about why you and your you and dad aren't. Uh, uh, a couple anymore that you can say, you know, we did all we could and, and we're now very happy as your parents. We're just not living under the same roof as a couple.
0: Right. And I think there, there's an interesting theme that you're going to see here throughout the book. And I think throughout our conversation, priority was always your daughter, Grace, right? Absolutely. All the way throughout, yeah. including how and when and what time frame to decide that it was time to make that change. Yes. And then following right through the whole process Absolutely. to result in the mommy and daddy had a good divorce.
1: Yes.
0: Which, yes. again, so you see that theme. And I think, you know, I think the message here is it look, it's it's specific to your situation, but um, but 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 don't feel like you, you've got a stopwatch attached to it.
1: Right. There's not a stopwatch. There's not. Um, I, but I, you know, one thing that's to be curious from a legal perspective, but I also think you have to, if you decide you're going to do it, then there's, it's, I, I say this to my friends, it's a project then and you need to manage it.
0: Absolutely. Because
1: it can also take longer than necessary if you're not actually focused on having those discussions, making those decisions and moving forward because it can, it can, you know, swirl of it if you're not clear. And so I think, you know, if you do decide and you're like, okay, now let's, let's do this. I think then there's a way to do it in a hopefully an efficient way where it's not being um, drawn out beyond what's required.
0: Right. It's funny because what I find myself telling clients, uh, and I have been for many years now is look, there's a time when I'm going to tell you to be thoughtful, to take your time. There are certain aspects of a case where I'll say, so the I I know what I want to decide. I'm gonna do this and do. do me a favor. Take it, digest it, sit with it over the weekend, call me Monday and we'll talk about it again. And I'll answer any additional questions you have. And then we're really gonna know if that's the appropriate decision for you. So and, and there are other decisions where I say, Hey, you gotta do this right now. If you're in a domestic violence situation, whether or not you need to get the house, there's planning you need to do, absolutely, but there's certain things that may, may be an emergency situation you need to deal with right away. But I think um but, but it's being able to differentiate those two different situations.
1: It is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something you just said also struck me And just in terms of um, there's times when your emotions are high and you need to decide, is that the right time to have that discussion or make that decision? Um, Or, and, and if your emotions are high, the one thing I I say in the book and I think is really important when children are involved is you have to decide what emotions your children see and what emotions you you protect them from. And so I do talk about developing your compartmentalization muscle and figuring out when, when is it okay for everyone to see the emotions that you're experiencing? And when is it that you, you know, save those for a private moment with yourself? Um, because um, those are lasting impressions on your children. Um, and, you know, it shouldn't be that they don't see that this is a, isn't impacting you. But there is i think choices we need to make as parents and as moms of of what we are what we're sharing of of what this is the impact it's having us emotionally um so i that's one of the things and and, on those moments in time when the emotions are high you may want to say you know what i'm not going to have that conversation right now with my soon-to-be ex-spouse because that won't turn out well and set it aside or i'm not going to bring that up in front of my children because that's going to actually scar them more than me waiting the hour when I'm by myself and I can reflect on that emotion.
0: Right. Absolutely. And it's funny because in these processes, I will say one of the first things I'll say is once you know there's a decision that you need to make and you're comfortable with it and you're ready to move forward, one of the first things I'll say is get a to-do list together Mm -hmm. and develop your support system. But what I found interesting in your book that I really want to talk a little bit more about is you distinguished Who's part of that inner circle and who's not? And that was a very conscious decision. And I yeah. want to hear a little bit more about that. How do you decide who's part of that inner circle, your support system, who gets what information and who's kept in and who's kept out?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think it's just a matter of who do you who do you need for support through this process and defining who that core group is? Right. And then there's people you may want to know that this is happening, but how big of a group do you need to have know that it's happening? Because then, in fairness, Those are people that expect to be given updates every time you see them or every time you're interacting with them. And then that means not only you're going through divorce, but all you're talking about to everyone all the time is this process. And so it is just a matter of thinking about how broad of a group you're bringing on this along this journey with you. And again, this is very personal in terms of whether it's a person or five people or your whole family or whatever the case Um, we were very selective because we just felt until we were clear we were going to get a divorce and how we were going to do it. And then when we were going to tell Grace, we did not discuss it with a broad group of people because we didn't want Grace hearing about it, you know, from a different angle. Right. Uh, She needed to hear it from us. Right. Uh, And then even after that, then it was about who was around Grace that could help support her through this process. And so that's when the circle expanded a bit more. Right. Um, But there are actually colleagues of mine. I have a funny story where, uh, ironically, a lawyer that I worked very closely with and have great respect for um I I didn't mention it to her that I was going through divorce. And literally nine months after my divorce, we were talking about a, a, a family vacation I used to take with Grace to my husband's family's cottage. And she goes, You're going to the cottage this year? And I said, No. And she said, Yeah, and she goes, No, I, I got divorced. And she didn't know. And she was, I kept right. this. And I thought to her, I said, you know what? I, I kept it to such a small circle and I wasn't broadcasting it. It wasn't something I needed to come right. into the office every day and you know, uh, Talk about in detail. So it was just an interesting moment where I realized I did, I did keep that circle quite small.
0: Yeah, but I think but it turned out to be a good choice for you, sounds like.
1: Yes, no, it worked. It worked. But again, that's it was a personal choice. And I, I, I do think everyone just needs to, to your point, we need to reflect on, and I put that in the book, who is your support network? And yeah. there are potentially different kind of circles of that support network at different points in the process, yep. from yep. when you're making the decision through actually going through. The change through post-divorce when, you know, the support is different because you're now potentially a single working parent um, with, you know, different needs than you or when you potentially had two of you. So there's a lot there's a lot that you need to think about relative
0: to that support network over the course of time. Absolutely. So another question that I get and they're questions, plural, but same topic. Yeah. Yeah. What, when and how do you tell your kids that you're make? having the change or divorce.
1: You know, again, this is one we reflected on a lot. And I do think it depends on the age of your children, you know, and what they do or don't know about the situation of, of leading up to this. And so, you know, that's again, a very personal thing. I mean, we decided to tell Grace together. Um, We we did get some counsel from the child specialist. It was part of our collaborative process of how to do that. Um, and when to do that, and if, for example, um, we did, We wanted to avoid around the holidays, you know, we want to avoid around children's birthdays or they start their first days of school or places at times, obviously, when they're trying to focus and, and not be distracted by something going on in their broader, you know, parents' lives. And so there are a lot of things. But, I, you know, it's interesting. I had a friend who took her daughters on vacation and told them on the vacation. You know, I, I think there's different ways of doing it. And there's not one right answer. It's just about being right. thoughtful about right. it, not just like blurting it out, you know, and saying, you know, because you want your kids to, to be able to process it. And right. I have found the younger the children, and this is what the child specialist said to us at the time, the younger the child, the more they'll take it in. And literally we told Grace and she goes, can I go upstairs and play now? You know, it was, when she was seven, she's like, okay, you know, but it didn't really probably register in, in obviously in totality of what we were telling her. Um, but I think those are, you know, different, different stages of children's lives. You're going to get a different reaction and need to plan for what's the right scenario for
0: the, the how, what, and when. Right. So having a specialist who works with children assist or guide is a help?
1: I thought it was, we thought it was a huge help. And, you know, one of the poignant moments for us, Dennis and I will say it, it was a pivotal moment for us in our, our planning for Grace is we went to see the child specialist before we told her. And we were, he was coaching us through some points, but he looked at me and he said, Sarah, do you travel? And I said, yes, I actually travel internationally for my job. And then he looked at my ex-husband. He said, do you travel? And he said, yes, I travel domestically. And he said, well, Grace is about to become a professional traveler. She's going to travel every week for the next 11 years back and forth between your two homes. And I burst into tears and because that's not what I wanted for her. That's not the life I wanted for her. And so we walked out of that session and my ex-husband and I sat down and talked about it. I said, you know, I don't want that feeling of packing a bag every week to be what Grace lives with for the next 11 years. It's just right. not what I want for her. And so, again, there's some socioeconomic considerations to what I'm going to share, but we really said, you know, what are the basics that we can have at both homes? Right. To minimize the feeling that she is packing a bag every week, a couple times a week, you know, to go right. back and forth. And so we did that. And, you know, when things got, as I say, out of balance, like too many socks in one house or whatever the case, it was up to my ex husband and I to balance things out. That wasn't Grace's responsibility, that right. her clothes weren't balanced out. So one of us would say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to give you a bunch of socks and a couple pairs of jeans and her extra, you know, tennis shoes over here. And we would balance. Because right. again, it just wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't her responsibility. Yep. But it's something we felt very, um, uh, we felt it was a very important aspect of, of trying to yep. set up a life for Grace across two households. Um, right. The only thing I'll share, Dennis, that was a, another poignant moment just this last year is when Grace was heading off to college and we were talking about her packing for school. And she said to me at age 18, Mom, I'm calling it the great consolidation. And I said, why is that? And she said, because it's the first time in 11 years, all my things will be in one place. Wow. Now, Dennis, she had never in 11 years complained about going back and forth between two homes, never once, but that moment also showed me, you know, it wasn't lost on her, that even with all we did, you know, she was living across two homes and she never had all of her stuff in one place.
0: Right. And you guys, when you made this decision, you decided how and when and what you were going to tell her together. Yes. And I and I noticed there's a reference in your book of making the best effort you can as two parents to control the proverbial narrative of Mm. information that your child could be exposed to. Not just from either one or both of you or even extended family but something they might hear from someone else. And I felt that was really good information. It it, it showed a lot of foresight that I think a lot of people in it just don't see. They don't.
1: And I think that, you know, people talk, you know, society talks and it's, you know, it's understandable, but I think... You know what you want your children to hear on the soccer field or in the carpool line or you know in a, a passing comment at a family dinner another family's dinner table where they're over for dinner you know you just want to make sure that what's being shared is something you want your children to hear from someone else and that it's um you know it, it's in keeping with what you believe is the the right right understanding of the situation um, right you know I, the other thing that i think is really interesting Dennis, is parents is how we show up for our kids relative to being their parents in a co-parenting situation, whether we're showing up at birthdays together, whether we're, you know, actually um, showing that we are this child's parent. And we were at a parent-teacher conference. That was a moment that um, also sticks with me because we went through an hour parent-teacher conference with this teacher and it was sixth grade. So it's five years after we were divorced. Grace was with us in the room. An hour into this parent-teacher conference, and the teacher turns to me and she goes, "Are you you two divorced?" And I stopped and I said, "Well, yeah, we've been divorced for five years." She said, "Well, I I didn't know." (laughs) Right. And uh, I and I I said, "It didn't occur to me to tell you, you know." But
0: that but that's a compliment. That that in my mind, when you're at a parent-teacher conference, is a huge compliment.
1: It was a compliment. And the thing that followed is she said, you know, um, it is very rare that we can have divorced parents come and sit in a room with their child and do the parent teacher conference. It is so rare. And she says, it makes me very sad. And I said, you know what? It makes me sad as well because you have the most important person for, for these parents is their child. And the fact that they can't sit in a room for an hour and talk about their children's education and get perspective from the teacher about that it was just really a sad commentary on how people approach this. So not only the messaging you put out into the world about, you know, your divorce, but how you show up after and how you actually show up as parents to your child sends messages as well.
0: Right. So I've always found, I've, I've also been an attorney for children. I, I did for roughly about 10 years, represented hundreds, thousands of kids. And I've always found in my experience that as much as you can do to provide any level of stability for kids as they're going through the process, because kids are along for the ride. They didn't choose the change. They didn't choose the divorce. They're along for the ride. So any stability of activities, house, anything, Mm-hmm. Can you give us any suggestions on how, if you're going through the process or you're, you're about to engage in the process, what you can do in a co-parenting situation to provide as much stability for your mm-hmm. child as you can?
1: Yes. There's a couple, I think, important points to, to reflect on. One is just from a, a schedule standpoint, which sounds you know, straightforward and basic, but really being clear on what the schedule is you want your children to understand is the way their life is going to work. And then try to be as consistent as possible so they know kind of what to expect and, you know, where they're supposed, where they're going to be after school or, you know, which weekend they're going to be with mom or dad. So the scheduling piece is important, but probably one of the most important things from an environment standpoint that we found. And it was, again, these moments that really crystallized for me the importance of thinking about the details is what I talk about in my book is minimizing the gaps. And when you're going through divorce in whatever housing situation you're going through, if, if someone's staying in the house and someone else is leaving and the house is basically going to be pulled apart, right? There's going to be right. chairs and couches and pho- paintings or photos or whatever's going to go. And um, we were in that situation where Grace and I were going to stay in the home that we've been living in. And my ex-husband was going to live in a, another home. And we had a long family, we had a long wall of family black and white photos that we put together of both my ex-husband's family and my family. And it was, uh, you know, a really special wall that I loved, but I needed to give my ex-husband obviously his family photos back. And so I took the time to frame some other photos of Grace and my family. And, On a Sunday afternoon, I sent her down the street for a play date because she was seven, and she went down the street, and I took the time to take the photos off the wall and put new photos up, and Grace came home a couple hours later, and I'm in the kitchen, and I hear this voice out of the the hallway say, hey, Mom, and I go, what's that, Grace? And She said, the wall has changed, and I stopped in my tracks, and I said, well, what's changed, Grace? And she said, there are more pictures of, of me up there. It looks great and she ran up the stairs to her room. And then as I stopped because I thought, oh gosh, she's gonna, and you know, I thought if I hadn't taken the time, which again, this was not necessarily <laughs> not really a project I had a ton of time to do, but if I hadn't taken the time to reframe some photos and put new photos up on the wall, and all I'd done is taken Max's Husband photos off the wall and left those little hangers, you know, throughout the hallway with the blank spots, what Grace would be telling people years later As my parents got divorced, and my mom took my dad's family photos off the wall. I love those little hands hanging there. And so instead, what she reflects on is there's more photos of me on the wall. Right. And so it's a small example, but I think a really important example that they notice everything. And I thought that wall was wallpaper to her, I thought she would never notice. And within minutes, within seconds of being in the house, she
0: noticed. And, and you describe this and you, you term this as narrowing the gap.
1: Minimize the gaps.
0: Minimizing the gaps. Minimize I, I, I love that. I, I absolutely love that, as, yeah. as, as I'm sure you can tell from my reaction. Um, yeah. And you hit the nail on the head. Kids are so perceptive. People yeah. don't realize kids are like sponges. They are seeing and hearing. Yeah. You may think you have a door closed. You may think you're down the hall. You may think they don't notice the photos on the wall. Yes, they do. They Even do. if they don't tell you, they do.
1: They do. Yeah. And actually, in addition to that, is there were photos in Grace's room that were of her dad and, and of his family. And we left those in there. Those yep. were there up until she left for college. Cause I said, you know, those are those are in fairness. We moved houses and so they're they're now with her. But um, you know, it's it's an interesting thing because that was also a conscious choice to say, that's her dad, that's his family. She has every right yep. to have those photos in her room. And so we, you know, that, that's why there's almost like two different dynamics going on, but both are noticed.
0: Absolutely. So you discuss about parenting plans in your book. Can you ex- yeah. describe for our listeners what, uh, what you mean when you say parenting plan and give us some examples on what the options are, the typical options?
1: Yeah, no. First of all, I think it's one of the most important documents you can put together during your divorce Yeah. Um, because it is all the de- basically all the decisions that you need to make about your child's. Um, basically, well being, education, extracurricular activities, the decisions you're going to make throughout their life with your ex spouse. And you document them in such a way that it is the point of reference over the years. Right. And so, and the reason I feel so strongly about this, and it is part of the collaborative process, and I know even in more traditional divorce processes, parenting plans are used, is that it is that thing that you can go back to if there's ever a debate about a decision that may be made. So for example, you know, we had there in there, were we going, were we going to purchase a car for grace at age 16 or not? Would it be a used car news car? I mean, these are details, but then years later, it's not a debate. It's like, well, we said we're going to do this. Let's see if that still makes sense, but there's decisions about, you know, education, medical, you know, so I think it's one of the most foundational things you can do as a parent in a divorce situation is to sit in and really be clear on those decisions you want to make jointly at that time right. about your children. Now, there can be a spirit of flexibility that some people want to build in. Um, and I would say that's um, fine to a point, but it is probably more important to put the decision down. And if you want to revisit it down the road, but leaving things too open and not documented in a way that's clear can can cause more challenges down the road than clarity.
0: Right. So I was negotiating a resolution the other day. And my comment to both of the parties was, look, be as specific with as many things as you can regarding parenting your kids and even finances to a certain degree Mm -hmm. with the idea that you want this to be the most solid base floor, I call it, Mm -hmm. of what you've agreed upon between the two of you and the ceiling. And this solid base will help the ceiling be stronger of whatever the two of you can negotiate outside the agreement on your own. Yes. Start with a strong base, a strong floor with as many specifics as you can build into a parenting plan. Most importantly, your ceiling gets higher. I think that's been a- my experience. That's and that's the advice that I give to clients. Great advice.
1: Great advice. And I do think, I mean, we used our our parenting plan, you know, on occasion when we like, either think we had to remind ourselves that we had decided, or, you know, there were there were moments where there was a, you know, debate on a point. I'm like, well, this is what the parenting plan says. And let's go back and see if that still makes sense because that's where we were at the time. And generally I'd say almost, I'd say nine times out of 10, it, would, it still made sense. And if there's something we need to revisit, then we talk about it and figure out, you know, what's the right thing now to your point, the ceiling may you know may have sure may have shifted in terms of what we needed to consider for that point. Right. That's a great a great way of framing that. I hadn't heard that and that's
0: oh, that makes thank sense. you. Yeah. So so question, should you let your kids weigh in on the parenting plan? Now I get this I get this question all the time and and I and if you haven't seen the TikTok or Instagram videos that I do out there, I get a lot of comments from people. Your kids should just decide the parenting plan. They should just decide the whole thing. Now my experience is kids may say they want to be in control of everything. But kids tend to function best, especially at younger ages, when the parents are the basis to provide the structure, because structure is what kids seem to want. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, again, personal opinion, but I personally think that the parents should think through what they think is going to be best. Depending right. Now, depending on the age of the children, there's of course. points where what you write down in parenting plan may or may not be as Uh, manageable to reinforce. And I I use the example of, you know, Grace was seven, obviously when we got divorced and the going back and forth between homes was set and great. And actually, even as she got older and she could drive herself, she kept to that schedule and she kept to that, you know, um, what we'd agreed to, but that's not necessarily always the case once kids are free to go where they want and, and spend time where they want to go. And so I think at least in the early days, being clear. And I do think providing that structure as they get older, there may be, if they're already older, when you're talking to them, you can have that conversation. But at the end of the day, you as parents have to agree what you think is going to be best for the children in this right. scenario and, and guide that as well. I do not think leaving a quote unquote up to the children, like full, you know, right. um, in total is probably the right. best approach. Again, personal opinion, but would not recommend that as
0: a starting point. So, You talked about, and I think we alluded to it earlier, reasonable flexibility. So you got the agreement, reasonable flexibility. How how far do you think you should go with flexibility? I mean, I always tell current clients to try to take the high road, be flexible. But you got this parenting plan. And I think maybe it's a function of time Mm to what are your thoughts there? yeah no it's interesting
1: i think in the early days being flexible um sometimes is a challenge because you feel like wait we just agreed to this and we're now undoing everything so that can be i think frustrating for certain parties involved so i think the spirit of flexibility reasonable flexibility is you know and and i'll use again personal examples you know i i did travel a lot for my my job and and my ex-husband did as well and there would be times where what our defined schedule had been for a given week you know was completely thrown off because i was out of you know out of the country for that week right. and so the question is do do we try to alter things a bit so the next week i'm in town that i can see grace a little bit more so that we can kind of catch up on things and we you know again we discussed those sometimes that worked and sometimes my ex-husband was like no i have plans and this is what i need to do and so we would you know make make the best of it in terms of that flexibility
0: okay so save, spend, give. I, I want to tell you, so, so just for your listeners, yes, this book has a whole heck of a lot of useful information about what's a good divo- divorce, um, but I will tell you, there are just some really good parenting tips in this that, that are not just for split or soon-to-be split families. They're for intact families, too. I wrote this down. I wrote this down on my side notes. I might start doing this with my kids. So how you address allowances, and you have something called Save, Spend, and Give. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, it's a great. So one of my friends read the book, and she said, Sarah, this is a parenting book that happens to be about divorce. (laughs) Absolutely, 100%. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I agree with that.
0: That's a smart woman there.
1: Uh, And so the Save, Spend, and Give was actually um, an idea we had in terms of three piggy banks that we gave grace. And actually, this was before the divorce. She's had them since age three. And the thought is that I don't know that we teach our children early on enough about the, we talk about saving, but the giving part, maybe not as, as in the forefront, and obviously spending, we all, we all do naturally. And so um, the thought was that at age three, we would give her $3 and one would go in each piggy bank. And to teach her that as you get things, you kind of divvy them across those three. And so the pigs, the little mouths of the pigs, we put little tape over them with the save spender gift. And she had those again throughout her life. And I just think it's an interesting way to teach children about kind of fiscal responsibility from a different angle. And uh, the, in the spirit of giving, you know, then when she had enough in her giving bank, she'd get to decide where we take it. And she liked to give it to the Humane Society generally. So we would literally take all of it out of there and put it in a bag and she would, we drive the Humane Society and she would give it to them because I wanted her to understand that that was her giving to them physically um, and not me writing a check and it going in envelope and her not understanding that it went anywhere. So again, just some, you know, tangible ways of teaching our children the importance of those concepts.
0: And and in the spirit of consistency and continuity, you preserve that throughout even post the split, correct? Yes, absolutely. So I'd like to talk about an extremely polarizing issue and you have it termed as a morality clause in your parenting plan. Now, I will tell you I have had clients so passionately on one side or the other of this issue What'd you do? Did you think it's a good idea? What should people be factoring in determining and and tell us what it is. What should people be factoring in when they're determining whether or not to have a morality clause? Yeah. You
1: know, I think a morality clause is really just what you want your children to see and experience um, of of you as as parents and as adults, as you go into this next phase of life is the way that I would say it. And um, we had some, very open discussions about what we thought that looked like for grace right. and realizing that um, my ex-husband and i were going to you know have relationships after the one we, we had had together and what what did we want to, that to look like so ours had very specific requirements about you know um, who could stay over and what that looked like and right. um you know we we held to it and i'd say it was something we took, Um, Seriously, because of what we wanted Grace to experience um, is, you know, us, she and I, with with her experience with us as parents and watching us go into relationships moving forward. So, again, a very personal thing. I can appreciate the polarizing nature um, of the clause, but I think it's about really thinking about what you want your children to take away as you go into this next stage of life and and how you're choosing to um, show what that looks like.
0: And I, and I think, again, to keep circling back and forgive me for this, but with the focus of viewing your change, your divorce through yes. the eyes of your child. Yes. Yes. Not it through was- the eyes of mom or dad. And many times I find myself telling clients that this is not if, if you want this, if you want your kids to come through this as intact as is possible and look at your divorce as if it's a good divorce, mm-hmm. you need to try to view these situations from the through the eyes of your child. Absolutely. So I had it. So I had a situation not too not too long ago. I'm just going to go by and I'm going to have a visit right now. Well, well. Your your child has a life. Yeah, your child has all sorts of other things going on completely out of the blue. Hasn't seen you in months. Here I am. Forget about how it looks through your eyes and even forget about how it looks through mom or dad's eyes, who's at the door saying, I didn't even know you were coming here. Think yeah. about it through the eyes of your child. Absolutely.
1: And your children, I, it's such an important point, Dennis. And I do think that there is a moment where you have to really um, put yourself into the right mindset of where you fit into this equation <laughs> and um, what, you know, what is most important. And that's hard. That's hard because in many instances, you feel like you have the quote unquote right right. And you've earned that right to right. do, you know, whatever you want or whatever the whatever the case may be. And you know, it has a huge impact on your children when when you um, make a decision that may be best for you or you think it's best for you. It's potentially not
0: best for your children. Absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. So, typically in these podcasts, I look for some tips, some yeah. some bright line. Big tips, the best things you can give, and also an inspirational quote. Can you give me three tips for our listeners out there who who are about to, who are either at the beginning about to embark on the divorce process, they're already in the process, or they're through it, and what's the next step? Try to give me a tip for each one of those things, please. Okay. Okay.
1: Well, I think the tip, and you heard me mention it earlier, but I do think it's fundamental, is that your mindset is essential in this entire process. And thinking about the mindset and the approach you want to take is going to set the tone from the beginning of your divorce and potentially for the long term. So just being conscious about the mindset, and, and I would like to say the mindset of positive intent. Now, Dennis, I know there are instances in divorces where that would be a very challenging thing to do if there's been domestic abuse, or there's there's lots of reasons where that may not be possible. So I appreciate I, that. So and of course set, I'm gonna set those scenarios aside and say if that's not the case, then really starting with the mindset of positive intent and figuring out what you can do to always have that in view in the back of your head as you're going through those discussions, you're making your decisions, you're engaging with your ex-spouse. You're thinking through things with your children just you know keeping that holding you know holding that in view i think is the first thing and it starts as you're starting the process so i put that in that first bucket um you know during the change the foundational piece of the co parenting plan that we talked about is i think fundamental to everything that happens during the change and so if it's the one thing that people do well which is to capture that and to have the conversation with your ex-spouse together as much as you can of what that could look like, it again is going to pay off over the long-term. You know, it's an investment in time and discussion and it can be hard and it can feel you know tough to do, um, right. but it really is the most important thing I think for people to, to do at that point. And then the third, I would go to, you know, post the change. I do think the concept of the compartmentalization muscle Um, which I mentioned earlier. And the reason both developing that and maintaining it is your children are not just watching you through your divorce, but after your divorce, if you are going to go and relive and quite honestly, relitigate all the reasons that you got divorced years and years later, or if you're going to look forward. Right. And I think if we don't compartmentalize those moments when we want to get pulled back into the past and, you know, bring all that stuff up or, you know, vent about it and no, you should, you shouldn't keep all those emotions inside but it sets the tone for your children and your life. If all you're doing is looking backwards versus looking forward. And I think having that muscle (laughs) to help you with that is an important piece of the puzzle because it really does fundamentally help you um, during the divorce and then long-term.
0: What's your favorite quote from the book?
1: You know, I think the quote I mentioned to you earlier is probably the favorite one. So apologies for repeating it, but it is so fundamental in terms of the greatest gift in my entire life that my parents gave me was that after the divorce, they got along and never ever made me choose between them. And that really, for me, speaks to all that we intended to do with the approach we took to our divorce. And that was from my friend, but it really, when she said it to me, it it was one of those moments.
0: How about you? So, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'm gonna share mine. <laughs> A good divorce is when mommy and daddy are nice to each other and try to be friends, like you and daddy. That's my favorite quote. It's important. It's for important. sure. So, what I found really interesting in your this is post the change is changing spaces, and this is referring to rooms in the house, etc., into the into. Cha- create the space you want to live in such as repainting repainting if you're staying in the home here's the thing i think creating the space you want to live in is what you're doing through this process i see that as a metaphor not mm-hmm. so much or not just painting of the rooms changing the rooms create the space you want to live in this process if you do it best you can and work through it as well as you can and end up with a good divorce, you are creating the new life space you mm-hmm. want to live in.
1: Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. Yes, I would agree. I would agree. And there is something, but that's, you have to give yourself time to reflect on what you want that to be. You do. And I think one of the challenges I see when you're in the midst of a divorce is it's hard to see that it's hard to, so you you have to create the space and have the belief that what you're doing to your point is setting those foundational building blocks of a new life, of a new way of living with your children, you know, and as I mentioned earlier, the new traditions and the things that you want to do, maybe things you want to keep from the past. And I, I, I I talk in the book about cherishing the memories of the past. Like there are memories that hopefully are positive from your, your marriage. and, that you want to reflect on and and talking about those and being open about those with your children too, and sharing those and laughing about them or reflecting back on a funny thing mom and dad did, or dad did, you know, that's important. And then there's going to be these new traditions that you're going to either discuss with your children or, or um, establish that are going to show them that, you know, there's a, there's this whole new phase. There's this whole new way of living that we're doing. And uh, there's positives to that
0: as well. Absolutely. So, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on to the program. It was such a treat to have you. And I, and I, I don't know, I hope you fully appreciate what a useful resource this book is to people about to engage in the process, people who are in the process, or you're even beyond and you just want some tips on, look, how do you live life beyond the divorce and beyond hopefully your good divorce, right? Yes, yeah. Thank you, Dennis. First of all, thank
1: you for the feedback on the book. One thing I I failed to mention is the book is um, in paperback, as you know, with your stickies. um, Oh, yes. Yes. Mine has stickies on it, so you can't have mine. Get your (laughs) own. That's right. That's right. There's also an ebook, so you can get it on Kindle, Nook, iBook. And also, I went in the studio um, this last year and actually created an audible
0: version. Oh, excellent. And so
1: for those individuals that maybe aren't ready to have the book on their bedside table or, you know, um, in view. And, you know, I, I actually have a, an interesting uh, point where I had a young uh, mom who I was actually working with. And she said, hey, before we started meeting, I want to tell you that I'm reading your book. And I said, oh, and I always, again, have a bittersweet moment. And she said to me, um, but I share my Amazon account with my husband and so I've sent the book to my friend's house and I sit in her driveway in my car and I read it. She said, but thank you for writing it. And I, I read a couple pages at a time and then I put it away and go, I have enough for now. And then I come back. And so um, again, I appreciate that, you know, there's going to be different formats for different individuals with different situations. So I wanted to make sure it was available in, in any format that was going to be helpful to help people think through this
0: challenging time in life. That sounds excellent. Any other resources people can reach out to hear more from you? Um, I have a website. You can go to um,
1: www.gooddivorce.guide. And it has my, um, you know, uh, book uh, information as well as some blog posts and uh, ways of contacting me and and all those things. So that's a, a resource as well.
0: Oh, that is so excellent. And by the way, you can tell your daughter, you can tell her her quote was my favorite.
1: I'm going to tell her. She's going to be very excited. She's, she's, she's very supportive of the book and actually gave it to her at age 12 and had her read it before I published it to make sure she was comfortable. And she finished it and she said, Mom, this is really going to help a lot of families and I'm glad you're sharing um, our experience. So
0: That's so awesome. That's yeah. so awesome. So again, thank you again for being on, Sarah. I really appreciate your expertise and the book is phenomenal. Hopefully we can get together again and talk more about this topic. There's so much more to talk about sometime soon, but... Uh, Thank you again, everybody out there for tuning in to Divorce Stories, the podcast. We'll see you again next time. Take care, bye-bye.